Good morning. When Stephen asked me to possibly preach this morning, I suggested a text, and he replied back, well, that would work if it's done right. Well, Father, I ask that you will help me to preach this word right this morning, to hold up the truth that is contained within our passage, that your name would be glorified. Amen. You know, I've experienced it before, and my wife and I have uh, experienced it all together. And what I'm talking about are those, those seasons in life, those days, those moments, those instances when life changes abruptly, never to be the same again. Forty years ago, our wedding was one of those days, and the birth of our children were other days like that. And then there was that day that came when there was a knock on our door telling us our children had been in a very serious accident. That day so changed our life that it moved us from California to Massachusetts just so we could start over. And this year, this year, 2020, we have all experienced a season together of change that is on such a global scale that it would be compared to maybe World War II, the 1918 Spanish flu, and nearly, in my mind, as bad as that flood thing in Noah's day. It has brought such change. We are all living history book changes. And quite frankly, now, I am a hermit by nature, and I don't like this whole stay-at-home thing. I've kind of got old with it. It's not fun, the changes that we are going through. Now, during seasons of great change, of trials, of tribulation and temptation, the Psalms tend to give me answers, and they tend to bring me assurance and comfort when I need it the most. The Psalms are real. I mean, the Psalms, they are beautifully poetic one moment and filled with very uncomfortable, raw emotions the next. In a single psalm, we can find great joy and horrific sorrow in a dozen or two verses. The psalms are real. They are reality. They are a wonderful reflection of life, especially during difficult seasons like the one we're all going through. So in this season of change, I ask that you would turn with me to Psalm 50 in your Bibles. Now, if you do not own a Bible, just reach out to this church, reach out to Nashua Baptist, and I guarantee you 
a Bible will be sent to you. Because, you know, the only thing that gets me through some of those difficult times in life is this book and God speaking through it. And I cannot imagine how anybody could be going through these days that we've been going through without having the Word of God planted in their hands and in their hearts. So please, if you don't have a Bible, reach out. We'll send one. Psalm 50. A song of Asaph. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. I just want to stop there. This is the first song of Asaph. Now, most likely, Asaph was David's JB. I mean, Asaph, most likely, is the chief musician, like J.B. is the pastor. Now, this is Asaph's first song, and Asaph, so he opens up with a very big picture of God. He begins at El, Elohim, Yahweh, or if you prefer the Latin, El, Elohim, Jehovah. Elohim is the pl- plural of El. So Psalm 50 is literally beginning, God of gods. The first time in this book we read about Elohim, it's in Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1 1 begins, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Elohim. The one who speaks everything into existence out of nothing. Asaph opens up with El, Elohim, Yahweh. Now, in ancient literature, okay, the word Elohim is at times used to refer to pagan gods and even to man. But when it comes to that word Yahweh or Jehovah, that is never the case. Yahweh is always used to refer to the one true God of the Bible. 6,823 times that word is used in Scripture to refer to God. When Moses asks God, who should I say sent me? God replies to him, to be Yahweh, I am. I mean, it literally means to be. Send you. Yahweh is the Lord. He's master over all. I mean, Asaph is talking here in Psalm 50 about the God who created everything out of nothing, who actively rules. He's not sitting back and watching it. He's partaking and working in it. And he sustains it all, and he holds it all together, everything. And I'll tell you what, in times and in seasons of big change, 
I find a lot of comfort in the God that Asaph is talking about here in Psalm 50. Uh, you know what? I see a God here, El Elohim, Yahweh, who is big enough to handle the changes that come in my life. He's got him covered. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. Psalm 50, pretty good courtroom scene with El Elohim Yahweh, with the mighty one, God the Lord, sitting as judge and jury, with the heavens and the earth as the witnesses, and with God's people on trial. And there's a little play in words here, as far as I can tell, about the sun, about its rising and its setting, and about God's perfection, Yahweh's perfection. And I think it's a little message to the sun god, pagan, you know, sun worshipers that were in Asaph's days, that God, the God he's talking about, the God of this book, the God of the Bible, he sits above the sun, and he shines forth in even greater beauty. And out of Zion, verse 2, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Zion, the city of David. We'll, we'll call it Jerusalem today. It might be a little hill outside of Jerusalem. We'll call it Jerusalem today. Zion, when we read that word, it brings to mind prophecies of the eternal king sitting on David's throne forever. The king to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. One of my favorite passages in, in Scripture actually talks about Zion. In fact, it, I even wrote a song, anybody that's, you know, maybe been in the church I used to pastor, they, they, they kind of know these words and they didn't, maybe they don't even realize they come. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, it reads, You, you, Christians, we, us, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborns whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. I just love that picture of Zion and our God reigning in perfect beauty, shining forth. I cannot wait personally, especially looking at the news this week, I cannot wait to see the perfection of his beauty shining forth over all the earth. Verse 3, our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. You know, it's kind of funny. I've been out there talking to people at times, and I've had somebody say to me, now don't you just worry, honey. When I die, 
I just, I'm just going to go reason with that little God of yours. He'll just let me into his pretty little heaven because it's pretty little me. He knows I got a good heart. I mean, really? Come on. You're going to reason with God, the eternal judge, whose glory and power are manifested in fire and storm and tempest? I mean, how's that? You know, good luck with that. Let me know how it goes when you stand before that God and try to convince him of who you are. I mean, in verse 6, it says, The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Selah. Just sit there and contemplate that. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Verse 7, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. In this courtroom, God is doing all the speaking. The one on trial, he's pretty silent right now. The people on trial are silent before their maker. It reminds me of Paul, what he says in Romans when he's talking about the law. And in Romans he says, whatever the law says... It speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. God is judge and jury and his people are on trial before him. Think of that. The heavens... Declare God's righteousness. But yet I've been reading Isaiah lately and it tells me even the best of my good works is just a filthy rag before God. El Elohim Yahweh, he is big. He is majestic. He is perfect. We are small, sinful. This Psalm 50 presents such a contrast about the greatness and the mightiness of God and really who we are. Now, verse 8, God gets to the kind of the meat of his accusations against his people. Verse 8, he says, Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. I mean, the people are bringing their sacrifices to God just as he had commanded them. He's saying, Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept the bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Pause there for a moment and just think about that. The people are sacrificing to God just as he commanded them to. So why won't God accept 
their sacrifices? And why does he kind of get into their face telling them, hey, you're only bringing to me what's mine to begin with? I think verses 14 and 15 help us answer that question. Verses 14 and 15 is this. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. I'll tell you what, during this whole stay-at-home church thing, I have struggled. I'm being very candid here. Hopefully it's acceptable, but I'm being very candid here. I have really struggled at times to bring my A game to virtual online worship services. I've struggled, I'm being honest. Haven't always brought my A game. Now, last Sunday was awesome. It was, it was wonderful. It was grand. It was beautiful because Marilyn and I did not have one single technology glitch of any kind. So we were able to virtually attend the entirety of our service here at Nashua Baptist Church. And also, I mean, uh, twice in one day, we were able to even attend virtually Emmaus Church's service. I mean, what a glorious Sunday it was. No failures of our technology in any way. And it's so easy for me to bring my A game when technology is behaving itself. But when there's that glitch, when in the midst of a song, I see the spinning wheel of broadcast death on the screen before me, and then all of a sudden, it jumps back in, and I'm like two or three verses away. Or when Pastor Stephen is preaching, and he's just right about to deliver, and all of a sudden, what? They're spinning wheel. You know what? I'm sorry. I apologize. It's, it's just what's in my heart and who I am. I kind of tune it out. I kind of just tune it out, click off the... Click off the TV and say, hey, God, uh, why don't you just put a check box next to my name? Just put a check in that box next to my, my name. I showed up. I was there, kind of. I think that's what God's getting at here. He, God's not pleased with the people's sacrifices. He's not going to accept them because, you know what, they're just kind of showing up. When they sacrifice because it's just their duty to sacrifice. Because it's expected of them. He's not real happy. He's not pleased. He doesn't want me, he doesn't want them to just kind of check off the box and yeah, attend the service, at least part of it. They don't know. They don't know I signed off. You know, when this pandemic hit, kind of sat there and I just thought, what's going to happen? I wonder if such a great global life-changing once-in-a-century event 
I was wondering if that kind of a magnitude of an event would be enough to turn people to the mighty one, God the Lord. I was just wondering. I wondered, I sat there one day and I just wondered if politics would be set aside for corporate prayer. I mean, I was, I was just hoping, I, I wanted this vision of some time of just seeing all the political parties just coming together, all together, you know, state of the union. State of the union is, it's bad, we need to pray, everybody on your knees. I was really hoping for that. I was wondering if that was going to happen because this is, in my mind, kind of beyond man's control. But I wondered also if the leaders would call upon God instead of poll numbers for wisdom as to how they should lead. And I really wondered if people would turn to God instead of the government to fix things. I mean, I know the people, everybody listening to me, they're heartbroken over what's happening in our nation. I mean, when I was a child, young, I remember some of these riots and stuff in the streets and violence. I know it breaks the hearts of believers. I mean, with violence in the streets, food shortages, long lines at food distribution facilities, political pettiness, and what all, with all of this stuff going on that I'm watching, I don't know, I'm getting this kind of feeling that maybe not a lot of people are turning to God. But I do suspect that we who are believers, we who follow Christ, I suspect in some levels we are experiencing whole new levels of thanksgiving right now towards our God. Whole new levels of thankfulness. And I suspect that we are in our quiet time, in our prayer closets, that we are probably right now acknowledging more and more our dependency individually, corporately, and as a nation and as a world, our dependency upon him. I mean, I know I have been in that state of mind over the last two months. I know that this pandemic has brought me to tears a number of times as I have sat and contemplated just how faithful God is in the midst of such a time as this. You know, it's, it's that attitude of thanksgiving towards creator and sustainer and with that understanding of just how dependent we are upon him. It's that attitude of thanksgiving and dependency upon God that pleases God when we bring our sacrifices, when we bring ourselves. When that's our A game. That's our A game. Bring him our best. I was thinking, you know, the Psalms, they're real, you know, Psalm 51 follows Psalm 50, which is kind of cool. They're in numerical order, I like that. Um, Psalm 51, in Psalm 51, David prays, O Lord, 
open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Verse 17 of Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That's a far different attitude of worship than just bringing the sacrifice because it's expected of us and we can check off a box. God, we are told by Jesus, is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Those who want to, or as a pastor friend of mine says, those who get to. So Psalm 50, verse 16. But the wicked... But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statues or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit back and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay this charge before you. In that case, I'll tell you what, you know, if God is silent in your life, it doesn't mean he's approving it. If he's silent in your actions, it doesn't mean he's approving it. Here he was just sitting back. Maybe he was seeing if they would turn from their evil ways. But I'll tell you what, Psalm 50, not only does it address and deal with our vertical relationship with God, it also addresses our horizontal relationships with one another. In fact, God charges here that if our horizontal relationships are not right, they are evidence of our vertical relationship not being right either. God, in Psalm 50, he calls out the hypocrisy of people who one minute say, I'm bringing the sacrifice, and the next minute do not bring the love to their neighbor. And, you know, God's accusation here, it, it, my mind just instantly jumps to 1 John chapter 4, where, let me read some of that, 1 John chapter 4, we Christians here, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And then later on in that chapter 4, he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. 
And then, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Again, another candid moment here. You know, over the past two months, almost three months now, I guess, I don't know, I have found it quite difficult to love my neighbor. Because quite frankly, I've either been at home alone with Marilyn or at the office working with my bride. And I'll tell you what, she's pretty easy to love. You know, who could can, who can not love her? I mean, I wasn't seeing a lot of people. And everybody that knows me and is a friend of mine on Facebook knows that I am terrible at Facebook. Hardly ever put anything up. And I'm not really good at phone calls. But I'll tell you what, now, the last couple of weeks, we've had our employees back at the business. And we have even ventured out enough to sit in the parking lot of our favorite Mexican restaurant, a plug for Los Primos in Merrimack, New Hampshire, but we've actually sat in their parking lot and had a meal. So we're getting to be around people again. And in four weeks, Marilyn and I are even moving into a new home, and we're moving to a new neighborhood, which is going to give us a chance to meet our neighbors too. I mean... I used to play golf many years ago in a different life, and it's like God has given me a mulligan. He's given me a do-over. It's like I can start getting things right in the future and really just love those around me. So now, as the world is reopening, as it, and as I'm going around and seeing people again, I'm praying God gives me the grace to pass horizontally all of that love, that kindness, that grace, that mercy, that compassion that he keeps passing down to me vertically. I just want to express to others the love that he expresses to me. And I'm praying that that will happen. I want to wrap up Psalm 50 here. Verse 22. Mark this then, you who forgot God, forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. Wow. Mark this. Make a note of this. Before El, Elohim, Yahweh, the perfect judge, the creator and sustainer. Make a note of this. Everyone stands convicted, tried, and found guilty. Based upon our own merit, and our own merit is playing out in the streets of America right now and in, in politics and in in everything else, based upon our own merit, based upon what is in our hearts, based upon our own human nature, based upon who we are, all mankind is on death row awaiting execution. Pastor Stephen read Psalm 
or of Romans 2 this morning. I'll tell you what, if you were to jump to the next chapter, Paul continues quoting the Old Testament. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All, and in just so you know, in the, the Hebrew and Greek, all means all. That means me. That means you. All have turned aside. Together we have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then a little bit later on, a verse we all know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Tell you what, my brothers and sisters, as this world changes, all of mankind is in a desperate and hopeless state. Without God, we are all beyond hope. Now, not to be an alarmist, I don't want to get any weird stuff out on the internet. He said this. But what I see in the streets reminds me of Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 21. Let me just read it. For this is what the Lord God says. How much worse will it be when I send my four devastating judgments? Sword, famine, dangerous animals, and plague in order to wipe out both man and animal. Well, I see the violence in the street. I see people going hungry. I see the plaguey thing going on. And I've actually seen all these news reports like many of us have, these animals returning back to our neighborhoods. I don't know. I would be so depressed right now if I was listening to myself if it were not for verse 23 and the rest of the story that we know. Verse 23, let's just read that. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. You know what? In the midst of change, especially these changes we've been going through. We can be thankful for one thing, and that is God himself is our salvation. He is our hope. He's the one that we can depend upon to lead us and to bring us through all of this change. Because you know what? El Elohim, Yahweh, created all things, and he holds all things together. The mighty one, God, the Lord. I'll tell you what really gets me in this psalm. This is what, I have read it a lot, and it has been on my mind. Here's what really gets me. There is a huge, big, grand picture of God here and a very small picture of me. That gets me. What really gets me in this song is my wretchedness compared to the grand, majestic, perfect nature of this divine judge. And what really tears me up is when, when we read some things, but to the wicked, 
God says. When, when I read that, I say, you know what? Candid moment number three. I still exhibit from time to time some of those things. I still have a heart that is prone to wander. If it were not God who had me on a nice leash. God speaks to the wicked, and at times I say, well, you know, I've done that. I've, I've been there. I've, I, I still at times. You know, to, to use God's words, paraphrase a little, but <clears throat> when I read this psalm, I can picture me being in that courtroom and, you know, being in that courtroom and deserving nothing more than to be torn apart. Yet, yet, God loves the wretch. He loves sinners. I mean, it gets me when I read the psalm that this, this grand judge knows I am guilty, that I deserve nothing good, yet he has given me his, him very self as my, as my salvation. I'll tell you what, we can all be thankful that in the person of Jesus Christ, God came to seek and to save. He came to rescue and to pardon. He came to ransom and to redeem all those who believe that Jesus stood in their place in judgment, already receiving in his own body the due punishment for my sins and for your sins. I mean, in that courtroom, I mean, it doesn't say this, it doesn't look that way, but Jesus went up to the divine judge. This is how I picture it. He went up to the divine judge, and he says, Judge, I will lay down on that cross that has his name on it, her name on it, so that just like Barabbas, they may get up, pardon, and go free. Free to new life. So, for us believers, for those who believe, what's our response to a psalm like this? A psalm that speaks of divine judgment. I'll tell you what. Our response, one of the things, ought to be a vertical thankfulness and a more expressed dependency upon the God who saves. And at the same time, we need this horizontal love. Our response ought to be a horizontal love towards our fellow man, towards mankind, towards all of those that Elohim created. I'll tell you what, thankfulness, dependency, and love, those are the ways that we order our way rightly, as it says at the end of the psalm, 
That's what ordering our way rightly looks like for those who know Christ, is their thankfulness to God, their dependency upon Him, and their love for fellow man. Why? Not because it's part of us, but because He has done that for us. We love because He first loved us. But there are some that maybe have turned on to this channel that maybe... And welcome, you know, welcome. Uh, if, if right now somebody has turned on to this channel and they're listening to this and they, they, they honestly are saying right now, they feel it in their spirit that, you know what? I'm not really all that thankful or dependent upon this one that he's talking about. I don't feel this relationship with Jesus I don't know Jesus that he's talking about. I don't know this God of the Bible that he's talking about. I mean, if you have just stumbled over this today, and all of a sudden you're feeling that, you know, my relationships with others are not really good right now. They're, they're, they've never been good. I feel some guilt over my attitude and my behavior. I mean, I have done some really, some really bad things. I mean, that guy on the TV screen used the word, you know, wretched. I, I am wretched. But then you know what? You got a response too. There's a right response for you. There's a right way for you to order your way as well this morning. Just as we all have who believe, we have ordered our way by acknowledging and confessing our sins to this God who is creator and sustainer. And we have asked for forgiveness. And we have believed in our hearts that Jesus did take the punishment that we deserve. So if you, if you don't know Christ this morning, just if you don't know God, if you don't know his, his, his rescuing nature, his salvation, then please just confess your sins to him. Confess that guilt you're feeling. Confess, confess those things that you, you know, your conscience tells you have been wrong. Confess them to him and say, forgive me, please. And then believe that Jesus was punished in your place on the cross, that he took the wrath to you. And then you know what? I'll tell you what. Then you will know the salvation of God. And then you too will lift hands in worship and in thanksgiving to the living God, to El Elohim Yahweh, to the God of gods, to the mighty one, God our Lord. Let's pray. Father, and you are our Father. You are a God that is a better Father than any earthly father. You are a God who loves. You are a God who receives. You are a God who forgives. You are a God who sustains. Father, thank you for your provision. Thank you for your protection. Thank you, Lord, for just you giving us the strength to get through these difficult times. Thank you, Lord God, that you are always by our side. You always go with us, even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we do not need to fear any evil because you are at our side. We thank you for that. We thank you for your wisdom. 
We thank you that that you know what is right for the future. We thank you that you know the future. We thank you that you today will do things that are good for us 10 years from now because that is who you are in your grand design and in your grand mind. And thank you more than anything, Father, that you love the wretched, that you love sinners, that you love those who have turned They're back on you so much so that you sent your son that whoever would believe upon him would not perish but would have eternal life. Lord, I pray for those who are listening this morning in here and at home, Lord, who will hear this. We pray for those that they would all come to a deeper knowledge of you and to a deeper relationship with you. My brothers and sisters in Christ, I I just pray that you would draw near to God as he draws near to you. And for those that do not know Christ, confess and believe upon the Lord Jesus and he will save. So Father, we thank you for this day. Give you all the glory. In the name of Christ, amen.